Good evening, friends. Let me add my own welcome. My name's Tom. I'm the vicar here at Emmanuel, and a particular welcome if you are here for the first time. Uh, do come and say hi to me at the end. I'd love to meet you, if so. And let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's word together. Our Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Uh, we pray now that you would speak through your word as we look at it together, and that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and with boldness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've been working through the book of Acts, we've seen how the book of Acts is like a mirror to us uh, in the church today, how it's, it's a lens that as we look through it, we're able to reflect on our own experience, our walk with the Lord, what church is like today, and to grow to be more like the DNA that God put in the church at the very start when it began. And in Acts 4, the passage that we've just read, it, it reminds me so much of the global church. I don't know about you, whenever I travel, I learn so much from my brothers and sisters in other cultures than our own. Uh, I spent one summer with churches in South America, and I've, I've got this memory um, seared into my brain of, of a prayer meeting that we had um, in Bolivia in South America, which is one of the poorest countries in South America. Um, and just the, amongst this great poverty and these huge social challenges that um, really put some perspective on some of the challenges that we face in the UK today, this passion and hunger for Jesus to come and engage with the people and to change the situation there. Uh, in Korea, they, Christians regularly fast and pray throughout the night. They have, whole, um, they have this place called Prayer Mountain where thousands of Christians will go and spend the night in prayer and fasting for God to come and move. Uh, here in the UK, the Redeemed Christian Church of God, which is a black-led de uh, denomination, mostly with um, Christians who've come to the UK from Africa. It's the fastest-growing denomination in the UK, planting hundreds of churches every year. Um, and every church that's planted in the Redeemed Christian Church of God, it's planted on prayer, on prayer and fasting, for uh, all-night prayer and fasting, and then going and praying into an area before a church is planted. And we have so much to learn about prayer from our brothers and sisters around the world uh, and so much to learn about prayer from the church in the New Testament that we read about here in this passage um, because sometimes it can feel like the church in the West is a bit asleep. I don't know if you've ever, ever felt like that, ever noticed it. Like we're kind of sleepwalking through our faith, kind of lulled into drowsiness by perhaps the material comfort uh, that we experience or perhaps by just the fact that it often doesn't cost us that much to follow Jesus. And so we follow him lightly and we don't really count the cost. Uh, and when we read the scriptures, the story of the early church, it, it sometimes feels like in many ways the global church is closer to our inheritance here in the Bible than we sometimes are. Uh, and here in Acts 4, we find the church at prayer and on fire. Uh, this is a story of bold and faith-filled and dependent prayer. Uh, and I think there's also an encouragement here for us when we struggle, when, when things are hard and they're tough. Uh, because we read stories of persecution here in the book of Acts that put lots of our sufferings into perspective. Uh, and then here, the way that the disciples pray, they've just been threatened. Uh, they've, they've not had it easy as they come to this prayer meeting that Nathan read us. And so there's a prayer here that can be a model for us when times are tough of how we too can pray. Uh, so the story picks up where last week's left off. Peter and John, they prayed for a man who couldn't walk and God had miraculously healed him. His legs had been restored. Um, and a crowd gathers in amazement and Peter says to this crowd, you shouldn't be surprised. Why, why are you amazed? Uh, it is Jesus of Nazareth whom you crucified, but God has raised from the dead who has healed this man. Uh, and so we pick up the story and in verse two of chapter four, the authorities are greatly disturbed 
because they are proclaiming that Jesus has risen from the dead. Just a few weeks before, the authorities had tried to stamp out the Jesus movement by killing him. And now here are his followers claiming that he's risen from the dead. They thought they'd ended this Christianity thing, but they haven't. So in verse 3, they throw Peter and John into jail, uh, and they're trying to say, what can we do to stop them? So in verse 7, they bring them in for questioning, and they ask, by what power or by what name did you do this? Because they can't quite believe that this man has been healed. They don't have a category for that. It breaks all of their assumptions. Uh, But the man is literally there in the room with them. They can see him. They knew he couldn't walk. They can see he now can walk. And so the the fact that he's been healed creates a problem for them. They can't deny it. But they do want to stop this Jesus rumour from spreading. And Peter answers in verses 8 to 12. He says, If we're asked how he was healed, know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. In verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Uh, And in verse 13, the authorities, they see their courage and they're astonished and they note that these men had been with Jesus. And they have this little discussion, how are we going to stop them? And they end up just in verse 18, warning them not to speak in Jesus' name and sending them out. And so they probably weren't very impressed by Peter's response when they tell him not to speak in Jesus' name. In verse 19, he says, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Judge for yourselves. Will we obey you or will we obey God? We cannot help but speaking about it. Here we see in Peter this authentic faith. Nothing could stop him. It was driven from the inside because he'd experienced God's love for himself. He was convinced that Jesus was Lord. He'd experienced Jesus walking alongside him. He'd seen Jesus do those miracles. He'd seen Jesus rise from the dead. He'd seen Jesus restore him when he'd been at his lowest point. And he thought that there was no way God could still love him after he betrayed Jesus. And so here we see the boldness and the passion of a man who's been changed by Jesus. And in a world that's more and more artificial today, we're so sick, aren't we, of stuff that's fake and stuff that's manufactured. The authentic is increasingly attractive. We want to be authentic, don't we? And God hasn't changed. New Testament Christianity, what we read here, is still available. If we will rise up to it and be changed as Peter was. Um, I always remember at one of the New Wine summer festivals, festivals a few years ago we heard from a refugee from North Korea Uh, and this lady was a Christian she'd been thrown in a prison camp for being a Christian and the um, conditions in the prison camps in North Korea are are awful people die quite quickly there uh, basically work to death Uh, and this lady thrown into a prison camp expected to die after a couple of years of following Jesus what did she do she planted a church Um, And the place that she planted the church was in the toilet pits, surrounded by all of the stink um, of the feces and everything else, because it was the only place that the guards couldn't hear hear them, the only place the guards wouldn't go, because the smell was so bad. So they'd gather there and they'd whisper hymns to each other, so as not to attract attention, and she led several of the other prisoners to meet the Lord. And then she had finally escaped and she came to the UK and we, we heard from her. That's real persecution, isn't it? That, that's real faith. Uh, I sometimes think I encounter challenges in my life, but that puts it all in perspective. Uh, And Peter and John, they show this same real faith, this boldness and this fire, even when they're threatened by the authorities, commanded not to speak of Jesus. Uh, And so there's encouragement here for us. Whatever our struggle is this morning, we might have been suffering because we're Christians. There might be other things that are um, causing us problems. 
Uh, perhaps we've been bold and invited friends to Alpha and they all said no, like, Sarah, like Sarah's story. Um, when we suffer for Jesus, we follow in the footsteps of our spiritual fathers and mothers like we read about here in Acts 4, in the footsteps of Jesus, God himself, who went to the cross in my place and yours. Uh, and when we read this passage, we get a glimpse of the early church at work. Uh, and that's good because we haven't arrived yet. Uh, the church in the UK, hear our experience. This is great. This is a wonderful church to belong to. But we in the West, we are not the high watermark of Christianity. The Lord has got more for his church than we're yet experiencing. He hasn't finished with us. Uh, and what really gets me, that um, so, so inspires me, is what happens next. Because Peter and John, they've been imprisoned. They've been on trial. They've been threatened. And they've done it. They stayed faithful to Jesus. They didn't back down. They had integrity. Um, they, they, stood, they stood up for their faith. And they've done it. They, rele they were released. They were faithful. Um, if it was me, I'd be going back home and I'd be collapsing on the sofa. It'd be time for a glass of wine and a takeaway and a hot shower and an early night. And I'd probably pat myself on the back. That's not what they did at all. Um, in verse 24, on their release, they report all that the chief priests said to the other believers. And in verse 25, they raise their voices in this amazing prayer. Uh, and what an encouragement this prayer is for us, particularly when things go wrong. Um, because here we see the secret behind Peter and John's boldness. This was why they were able to stand up under persecution. This was why they were able to um, witness the authorities even under threats. This is the reason for their confidence and their faith. Here's their prayer. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is faith-filled prayer, isn't it? They're under pressure, but they don't despair. No, they start by remembering who God is. Sovereign Lord, you made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. We pray to a big God, a God who's not phased or threatened by all of the challenges that we face. And so because God is in control, that everything looks different. The situation's reframed instantly. God is bigger than the problems that we face. So they first remember who God is. And then they turn to God's promises in Scripture. They quote Psalm 2, which is a reminder of God's power and his sovereignty. Um, they, they quote Psalm 2 saying, um, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Uh, and that's what always happens. People throughout history have taken their stand against God. We go our own way, want to live with ourselves as God and do what we think is right, not what God wants. We all try and go our own way. That's the nature of sin. Uh, but Psalm 2 encourages us because God isn't surprised by that opposition. Uh, when people persecute the early church, when we struggle or suffer in Jesus' name. Um, in verse 28, we read, he already knows what will happen. He's sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end. And so God isn't threatened by any of those things. In fact, the psalm points to God's victory. Uh, they just quote the first couple of verses of Psalm 2, but they'd have had it all memorised from childhood. Uh, and the next verse is really interesting. In Psalm 2, verse 6, it says that God's not faced by all the opposition of sinful people because he has installed his king on Zion's holy hill. Uh, and it's one of those wonderful um, instances where the psalmist speaks better than he knew. 
Uh, the scriptures are inspired by God, they're God's love letter to his world, but they're written by people. And so the person who, who wrote Psalm 2 thousands of years ago, he'd have been picturing God installing his king on Zion's holy hill, and he'd have been picturing a crown and a big throne and perhaps some armed guards and all of this power. But he spoke better than he knew because when God did install his king on Zion, his holy hill, he sent his son Jesus in human form to hang in our place on a cross, to die in my place and yours, to open the door to bring us back to God. And what looked like defeat, the authorities, when they crucified Jesus, they thought they'd ended this Jesus movement once and for all. But what looked like Jesus' defeat was actually his victory. And on that cross, he, de he defeated death. He triumphed all the power over all the powers of the grave. He tore down the barrier that separates us from God. Uh, and so that Psalm 2, that prophecy from Psalm 2 is, is true, just not the way the psalmist imagined it. God has installed Jesus, his king, on that holy hill. He has won the victory on the cross. His purpose, his plan comes through despite all that the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities could throw against it. Even what looked like defeat was in fact victory. And because God's plan cannot be overturned, Jesus now rules and reigns. He is seated on high on the throne ruling over all things. And so you and I, we don't need to be afraid. When things go wrong, when we struggle, when things scare us, we don't need to be afraid. We are safe and secure because we are his. We trust in a sovereign God who rules over all things. His plan cannot be overturned and he has won the victory on the cross, as Psalm 2 reminds us. Uh, and so in this prayer, the, the disciples, they're threatened and they remember who God is. And they remember who they are, that they are God's servants, trusting in Jesus' name. And then see what they pray for? They pray for two things from this place of security. They pray for boldness. Now, Lord, um, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And they ask for God to move in power. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Uh, and the thing is, they've already been quite bold, haven't they? They've stood up to the government and they haven't backed down. Now they pray for more boldness. They say, do it again, Lord, more boldness. They're hungry for more of God's power. They've just seen someone healed, someone's legs restored who couldn't walk. And they say, Lord, do more, do it again. Stretch out your hand. And the result of this prayer for boldness and for the Lord to move in power in their community is that the place that they were meeting was shaken. I'd love to have seen that. The place they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. They'd been filled on the day of Pentecost just a few days before. They're filled again now. They are overflowing with God's presence and his power. And my friends, this is our heritage. This is God's church. This is the church that the Lord Jesus built and said the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. Uh, and this is my prayer for us, I don't know if it's your prayer too, that we would be a church like this, that we'd be a bold church, uh, that we'd be a praying church, that we'd be a church dependent on the Holy Spirit, that we'd be a church full of faith and security because we trust in the God who is in control. Um, this morning we heard from one of our church family, Sadiq, who comes from northern Nigeria, and he was telling us about the fact that his dad, who's a, a bishop in Nigeria, they've had three kidnapping attempts in the last couple of years, armed men rushing into their house only just um, by a miracle each time his family has been saved and the, the persecution that Sadiq and his family have experienced. Uh, and, he was talk and so we asked him this morning, what difference does that make to your faith? 
Uh, and he was talking about how they expect to suffer in Jesus' name because we follow a suffering saviour. And about how they know that God has the victory and that he is in control. So they're not shaken because they trust in him and they know in whom they have believed. And it, was, it was really moving to hear. Um, I want to tell you about one more person and I'll close. I was in, invited to do some ministry in Hyderabad in India a couple of years ago. And when I met there, uh, a church planter called Jiri Babu. And um, he um, grew up in a slum in Hyderabad. And he, someone told him about Jesus. He came to faith. And so he planted a church in his little hut. It was just a shack. And, but people came and they heard about Jesus and miracles started to happen. Uh, and they started prayer meetings in this house and they prayed every night for seven nights. And then other families from the slum came and they asked for prayer and they were healed and the kind of word spread around the slum until this mob of 60 or seven Hindu nationalists came and they beat him up and they tore down the shack and he went to hospital for a few months. Uh, I met him about a year or two after all of this had happened and he'd gone back and he'd set up prayer meetings again and he was back telling people about Jesus. He'd led half the population of this little slum where he'd grown up to Jesus. And he wasn't faced by the person. He had this big smile on his face and he'd been beaten to within an inch of his life just a couple of years before. My friends, we have so much to learn from the global church who are so much closer to our inheritance in the scriptures than so often we are today. In Revelation 3, God says to the church in Sardis, he says, wake up, wake up, church, strengthen what remains. Uh, I think the Lord's inviting us this evening to wake up when we read the stories of our inheritance in the scriptures to say this is the church we can be, a church that isn't phased by persecution, a church that's willing to suffer for the name of Jesus, a church that is bold, a church that is centered on prayer, a church that is interceding for its community and crying out for more because we are secure, because we trust in the God who is sovereign and who has won the victory for us in Jesus. So that's my question for us this evening. Friends, will we wake up this evening? Will we pray this prayer that we read in Acts 2, asking the Lord to fill us with boldness? Are you willing to pray that prayer? Don't, you don't know where it might lead you. Uh, Lord, fill me with boldness. Are we willing to pray to stand in the gap between um, God and our community and say, Lord, come, would you move in signs and wonders? Would you come and save our friends and family? Would you come and change this place? When we face challenge, will we cast ourselves on the God who is sovereign and will we take comfort in his victory for us? Will we be so secure in our identity as beloved children of the Most High God that we're able to face any challenge? All moves of God begin with prayer. That's the call to our church as we read this story. If we want God to move, we have to fall to our knees. So let's come to God this evening and pray, shall we? Let's pray to our sovereign God who has won the victory. Let's ask him to make us bold. Let's ask him to move in power. And let's ask him to fill us with his spirit as he did the church in Acts, to intercede for our nation and to be sent out in his name. Would you stand with me as the band come back up? And um, we're going to do that now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are sovereign. You rule over the heavens and the earth. Now, Lord, enable your servants, we pray, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand here in Stoughton to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And as we wait on you, Lord God, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? We need you, Lord. We want to be the church that you've designed us to be. Send your spirit on us, we pray, as we wait on you. Come, Lord Jesus.
And we're just going to take a couple of minutes. If you're new, if it's your first time here, just going to have some space for the Lord to answer that prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, and fill us with your spirit, we pray. the Lord is present, he's moving in this place, he's here to meet with each one of us, lift our eyes to that victory that he's won for us, we don't have to work it up, we don't have to try, he's won the victory already, we're secure in his victory, and it's only from that place that we are bold, because we have nothing to fear, Um, but I'm going to invite you forward in a moment, if you want to make a physical response this evening, if you want to say, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with boldness, Uh, In a moment, I'm just going to invite you to come forward and just line up at the front here in in front of the dais. Um, We all want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We all want to be filled with boldness. But if you want to say to the Lord this evening, yes, Lord, count me in. I want more of you. I want to look like this. I want to have your boldness that I'm so secure in you. I don't fear what other people think of me. I want to be filled with your spirit, with power to live for you. Would you come now? And just as Jacob plays, we're just going to come and stand here as a physical response to say, yes, Lord, I want this. And there's plenty of space just along the front. You don't have to come, but if you want to make a physical response, you're welcome to. And we're just going to stand and say, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Send your Spirit on us, Lord Jesus. one or two staff or ministry team could just circulate and just put your hand on someone's shoulder don't speak to them um, don't interrupt but just bless what the Lord's doing just say yes Lord fill this person with your Holy Spirit not having conversations just blessing what the Lord's doing come Lord Jesus fill us with your Holy Spirit and with boldness God all evening we can stay here as long as we want to Uh, if you're doing business with God keep doing business with God Uh, we're going to move into worship we're going to sing to the Lord of what he's done
And as we do that, if you want prayer for any reason, grab someone next to you and ask them to pray for you. There'll be prayer ministry teams to the side in a couple of minutes and you can come and ask them to pray if you want to. But let's worship the God who is with us. Let's worship the God who has won the victory on the cross already, the God who is sovereign over all things. And let's offer him ourselves as we stand in the gap and as we ask him to use us to win this nation for him. In Jesus' name. Amen.